I'm Derek Thompson, the host of the podcast, Plain English. We tackle technology, politics, culture, history, everything that's happening in the world and why it matters. New episodes of Plain English drop every Tuesday and Friday on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast and Ringer FC. I'm Musa Kwanga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm all right. Thanks, man. How are you? Very well indeed. Excited. Excited. Are you? I'm dreading today. I could do without a North London derby, if I'm being honest. <laughs> That's why I'm excited, because I have nothing at stake. Musa's at the window just being like, sickos, sickos. <laughs> Yeah, I really, really enjoy football when I've got nothing at stake. So yeah, that's I can just sit back and chill. It's a vibe. Lovely. Well, have fun. I will. I will. Uh, we hope everyone's staying safe, staying well, wherever you are in the world. Uh, some quick admin, right? His house was back this week. Flo joined in to talk to Chloe Kelly. That was a really good chat. Chloe was great. But then I jumped on to chat to Callum Jacobs with Ian about his new book, A New Formation. Which features essays from Musak Wonga, Jeanette Kwachi, Sana Qureshi, The House in Session, Inifiok Ekpudum, and many more. So go check that out. It's on the Ring RFC feed now. Inifiok named Forbes 30 under 30. I mean, the, yeah, well, I mean, never in doubt. What a boss writer, anyway. Never yeah. in doubt. Do you know what today is, Musa? Apart from being Thursday? What is it, Ryan? Our 250th Stadio episode. That is amazing. 250. Oh my gosh. <laughs> they said I wouldn't make it to 50. They said I wouldn't make it to 50. <laughs> so funny. My first reaction was then like, poor Ryan. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I also had that reaction. <laughs> poor me. 250. Happy 250th. Uh, I was going to say anniversary. Happy 250th episode. <laughs> it feels like anniversary. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm going. <laughs> wow. Amazing. I know. Well, thank you. Thank you for all listeners. You know, some people are going to be there like, I was here from the beginning. Yeah, actually, if you were here from the beginning, that's amazing. And frankly, thank you because, yeah, it's just. uh, If anyone has been here from episode one, when will you learn? (laughs) Listen, right. By now they know what this is. They knew what this this is. But uh, yeah, many thanks to everyone who's been been with us from episode one or episode 100 or episode 249. It doesn't matter. We're just glad you're here. Yeah, real pleasure. Thank you. So today, 
We're going to talk about... Oh, hang on. Have you got your piece up on the ringer yet? Uh, it is coming up. I've written a piece about Erling Haaland's transfer to well, Manchester well, City. that's very handy because we will be talking about that today. Interesting. As well as the confirmation of the Champions League reforms. We'll touch on that a little bit. Some details are still a little bit sketchy. They are, but it's better. They're slightly better than I hoped. Yeah, but I think that's because we, you and I are pre-programmed now to just accept, expect the absolute worst whenever FIFA or UEFA make a decision. Or maybe strategically lower their expectations to the point that like, we're just like, we're just happy that they did something yeah. right. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> and we'll do a quick roundup of some other stuff because it's that point of the season where things, what am I trying to say? Cups are won, leagues are won. Stuff is happening. So let's get into it all after this. Let's do it. All right, man. Shall we begin in Italy? We have to begin in Italy. Coppa Italia final. Inter beating Juve 4-2 after extra time in a Derby d'Italia final in Rome. This gave me all my vitamins. This did. This game was amazing. Can I actually say about this very quickly? So I've just watched, no spoilers, I've just watched Doctor Strange, Multiverse oh. and, and the Multiverse of Madness, right? No spoilers. I came out of this movie and I'm like, oh my God, this movie is long. And it's only like just over two hours. And I was like, what it feels, it feels, no, it felt, but felt like an eternity. And this game and it's, this game was only two hours long. And it feels like doing the podcast with me. (laughs) Oh my God. Wow. We only did an hour. Wow. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) This this game, this Coppa Italia final ended up lasting two hours, but it felt longer. In terms of the, the shifts in momentum, and the different characters that emerged ebbed and faded at different points. Like you could argue in this game that like, you know, you had like Paolo Dybala, we're getting to, Paolo Dybala was one of the players of the match and went off and like yep. brought so much to it. And like, it was almost like different characters stepped up at different points to dominate the narrative and then that stepped away again. It was amazing. It was Another game. example that men are too emotional to play football this game. Yeah, yes, it was. It was. <laughs> Far too emotional. Conceding in quick succession. Far too emotional. Like Wolves, like Wolves against Man City. It's another yeah, story. Too emotional. Yeah, yeah, Everyone's yeah. too emotional to play football. Too emotional. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nicola Barella gave into the lead really early on inside 10 minutes. Oh yeah, five, six minutes. And you know what's interesting about that? The way the Inter started. I was like, hang on a minute. Juve are going to play on counter for like two hours? Like, because the way that they, they had real trouble. Um, it was in the directness of approach. Inter, very patient build-up. Mm-hmm. Playing out through Handanovic, I loved it. You know, the way they played up and they all advanced together, the fullbacks um, equally advanced, um, Skriniar getting right up there in the mix. And Barella had had a bit of an uneven time um, over the last few months, but really just the way he's um, just back to full, back to full power at this point. Um, and the goal itself, when the goal arrived, it was almost like, it capped the dominance. Like Inter yeah. had been dominant for the first six minutes. How often do you see in a cup final, a team just like, well, Manchester United, Barcelona, 2011. Like when a team takes the lead in the cup final and it's like, this is a statement. Yeah, totally. I thought Inter was really good in that first half. That they Inter, were, weren't they? Yeah. Um, Juve didn't really do a huge amount. They had a couple of chances, that one that like Dybala squirted wide. Mm, they really struggled in the build-up though. And they really, the 50-50s, they just got completely unmatched. Dennis Zakaria just didn't have the time on the ball quite a few times that he thought he'd have. Mm-hmm. That makes sense, but they, they were really good through the middle. Uh, well, just in the whole game, I just thought Inter, they only had around 60% possession, but I think in terms of the overall control, whenever Juve did have control of the ball, it looked like they were really in a hurry. It looked very reactive. They were really struggling to play out. I mean, it looked like Sandro down the left, for example. Um, 
but just edgy passes as well, like Delict. Yeah, the amount of times he run into trouble. Just, yeah, he yeah. misplaced passes that were really quite simple, and they just mm. never really seemed to find a rhythm. Right. Yeah. Uh, Danilo went off with an injury, and it was quite interesting because they brought on uh, Allegri, brought on Alvaro Morata, and kind of pushed an extra one up top, and it actually seemed to help Juve because this wasn't long before half time, and in the second half, I think that early stage of the second half was when they had their best period in the game. Oh, we have to also mention the incredible save by Handanovic from Vlajevic in the first half. Yes, we do. That actually. was elite because Handanovic, you know, we can be critical sometimes. He's made some mistakes, but when he's good, when he's good, he's, he's brilliant. And that save was, was elite. But then came the second half. Yeah, Sandro got a goal back for Juve about five minutes after half time, And then a couple of minutes later, Vlajevic broke through, cut back inside, smashed the ball. I, I tweeted that he played a one-two off Handanovic's face. Uh, which came back to him and then he put it away. Which was you know, that's just so disrespectful. It was, and I, I love that you've mentioned that because that was a kind of, I see, may credibly say first half from Vlajevic, but then second half, terrible mistake to let Sandro score. Mm. And the interesting about this goal was, if you see this, this is a four minute microcosm, it's almost a four minute cup final where you have Vlajevic so dangerous. In terms of like the way he's like a center of gravity, there's very few center forwards in world football that centers of gravity. I would say Vlajevic, Kane, Lewandowski, Benzema, Holland, you know, there's like five or six that really just drag an entire defence and collapse onto them. And the way that Vlajevic gets the ball, it's almost like in basketball when like a centre goes into the paint and punches it out to the shooter. He goes in and sort of penetrates the six yard, the sort of penalty box and everyone just crowns him, which gives Sandro space for the shot. And the Handanovic concession there is weird because that's four minutes. Juve scored and they score again off Handanovic's face, the one, two. And it was weird because I'm like, they got this lead, but they don't deserve it. Right? They didn't yeah, really but that actually that weirdly that made point. me think that they were going to go on and win the game. No, exactly. No, no, me, me too. Me you too. Know? Me too. But then again, I was uh, thinking, hang on a minute. I'm thinking as if this is the old Juventus and it isn't. This is not the old Juventus. I think I'm still with that kind of muscle memory of, okay, once they take a 2-1 lead, they'll just close it out. But to Inter's credit, Inter kept playing football. Yeah, when they got a penalty, they, well, they, they, they ended up taking the lead in the game because of two penalties. The first one took it to extra time which was Benucci. the Bonucci one. Yeah. Lautaro Martinez was, they said he on, on German comms that he, he, clever gemacht. Yes. <laughs> yeah. He, he kind of did, he was clever and he essentially just bent the, his leg back up in between Bonucci's legs and kind of caught him as he went down. It was, it I'm was not laughing soft, at, but it was a penalty. Yeah. I'm not I laughing think. at mis, I'm not laughing at misfortune. You I'm laughing are. at just, I'm, what I'm laughing at is the look on Bonucci's face. He's like, you're doing that to me? Like, really? And I'm getting punished for it? Like, <laughs> it was almost like the, the incredulity that there was some kind of skullduggery happening in the penalty box. And, and I'm not the perpetrator. It like, yeah, exactly. Really? <laughs> it's like the look on Pepe's face when the brawl broke out and Pepe was looking around going, oh my God, there's a brawl. I'm not the instigator. <laughs> I need to get in this. Yeah. The penalty though, oh from Hakan Chalanolu was... Genuinely, one of the best penalties I think I've ever seen in a in a cup final. Let's uh, let's say non shootout penalties because there are too many of those to go through. But actually, if you think there's ten minutes to go, this is to get into back in the game. They haven't won the cup in eleven years, and he absolutely smashes it Clatters top right, hits the, kind of grazes the grazes the yeah. post as it goes in. Yeah, it's outstanding. Yeah, goes to extra time. There's another penalty, this time on Delict, mm. which was also fair. It was quite clumsy, actually. Yeah, that was absolutely, yeah, yeah. Perisic hits another great penalty. 
And he, his influence, again, this is interesting because given the role that he played in this match, his influence is growing throughout the game. Yeah. It's like, so it's like, it's almost like, it's like little teasers, you know, a great cross going in that Jekyll has the keeper, like little runs off the ball. There was like, he kept, he was almost like ascending to the main role throughout, which I really yeah. liked. Yeah. He's really interesting, I think, because if you, if you look at so many, if you look at his honours, right, and, the, and mm. the, the trophies that he's won, he has played a very quietly important role in pretty much the majority of them. You know, yeah, even yeah. that Bayern run to the Champions League final. Yeah, yeah. He just quietly does a job that... I, think I love I, that kind of football. I love that kind of player. Yeah, me too. And then a couple of minutes later or three minutes later, he scores an absolutely unbelievable goal to clinch it. Do you know, actually, it's funny. It's like, you know, it's like the Rakitic thing. Like Perisic, Rakitic, obviously part of the same great generation. It's almost like, they just like to remind you now and again that they're here. Mm. They're like, oh yeah, yeah, I know, I, know, I know I'm a supporting cast member. But every now and again, I'll like... I'll do a solo so you can see what I'm about. And then Max Allegri gets sent off. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, I'm not laughing. Mr. Walsh. Just, I'm just like, how many, we've seen a lot of red cards for Serie A managers, haven't we? In the last couple of years, we've seen a lot. Oh yeah, there was that, that single day where there was, I think, or that single weekend where there was four, I think it was amazing. Do you know I think? I think they started a WhatsApp group after that. I mean, just, just to compare notes. Do you think they've got like, their own almost like FPL? Private, no money, changes hands. Just like the the winner, the the, win, the winner of the most red cards gets the dinner bought for them, or something like yeah. that, or has to pay for the dinner, or something. I don't know. So I was like, oh, Max is getting the wine again. <laughs> so Inter, like you said, clinched their first copper in eleven years, and obviously on the back of the title last year for the first time. Big in, for them, yeah. They could win the league this year. It's not impossible. They've been the best team, in my opinion. Like, they have been the best. You know, I know that Milan have been brilliant. I'm not saying there's not, there's not much in it either. It's just in terms of, like, Inter have claimed more victories and Milan have, like, really fought. You know, Milan, I think, are slightly ahead of their development. And this is not mm. a criticism. And they're slightly ahead of development. Whereas Inter, Inter obviously building a title win. And they just basically just brought in Dzeko and actually got a bit better. Chalanolu as well. So, it's, to be honest, it's amazing that Milan have run them this close. But regardless of who wins the title, Inter this season have just... They've adapted so much faster than I thought. Like Simone mm. Zaghi, full credit to him because he's coming and done a job that I really, you know, I, I got to say I'm, I'm surprised by the speed of um, his adaptation to this. I am and I'm not. Simone Zaghi has kind of gone under the radar a little bit, I think, across the whole of Europe for the job that he did at Lazio. Mm. Taking him to the cup final, 2017, they lost to Juve in the final, right? And then they actually won the Copper in 2019. And he obviously then took them back into the Champions League. Yeah. And then moving to Inter, after Conte left, after they won the title, after Lukaku had gone and Hakimi had gone, and there was a lot of concern about whether Inter would be able to, to do it again this year because they were financially a little bit of a mess. I think the Lukaku transfer fee made the worst of what could have happened kind of go away. But I remember at the beginning of the season, we were a little bit concerned about how they would do this year. Mm. And the job that Inzaghi has done I mean, potentially bettering what Conte did in that last season, considering he won the league, right. is some achievement, I think. It really is, Especially yeah. because yeah. you would have expected, and we've seen this a number of times before, like we'll talk about Celtic in a little bit, but in leagues that have been dominated by a certain club for a while, not winning the title usually provokes a response that means they really, really bounce back. Juve haven't done that again this season, even under no. Max Allegri, a very, very experienced old head. And with great recruitment as well. I think the job that Inzaghi has done has been amazing. Mm. Whether they get over the line in the league or not, they've pushed it so close. Yeah. I think that he deserves a huge amount of credit. Really does. You know, it's really, and we talk about the Premier League and being a coach's league. Mm. 
we can say the same for Serie A, just in terms yeah, of the totally. quality and, and the personality the different coaches have and the styles, the approaches. This is what I love about watching Serie A. You watch different games and just the sophist- not just the sophistication, but the, um, it's a word that actually we'll get to in a bit when we talk about Celtic and Postacoglu, identity. It's mm. a word that he uses so much. The thing about Inter and, and Milan and, and Juve and all the teams that have run some kind of title race is just the identity is, is the thing that's separated, I think, the top teams are the ones that are chasing them, in my opinion. But also I think Serie A still suffers a little bit from its old reputation and it's just been mega fun over the last yeah, few yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. Mega yeah, fun, right. super end-to-end, loads of goals and it's just a really good league. Mm. It's a really fun league. The cup final was amazing. It gave you everything you kind of wanted from a final. As a neutral, obviously there'll be some Juve say, fans. I love that Inter took the copper so seriously as well because we've yeah. seen so often, like, you know, teams sometimes soft pedal the domestic cup competitions just because of squad management and having to do that title. But I love the way Inter have gone all in because, it, you know, it's interesting with Inzaghi, the copper has been a way to, it's a really good way to like build a team. It mm. sounds obvious, but like if the league title is kind of off the table because they've got the resources, the copper is a really, really good way to build a team's core if by going deep in it. We saw that with, um, with Napoli, for example, like there's no coincidence that they're like, they're pushed the titles come after like a couple of copper wins in recent years mm. because that core, having won something together, gets the confidence to win more. So a bit of a nod to Inter, respect them for taking it so seriously. I mean, both of them taking it seriously. I mean, the Derby yeah, to yeah. Italia final is always a spectacle. Box office, yeah. Uh, so yeah, props to Inter, props to Simone and Zaghi. Also on that tip, like we mentioned, Celtic regained the title in mm. Scotland after Rangers won it last season under Gerrard. While many, again, might think, oh, it's Celtic, what's the big deal? When Ange Postacoglu took over, Celtic were in a bit of a mess. Yeah. And they finished, what, 25 points off Rangers last season? Yeah, yeah. In the league? They looked a million miles away of, uh, maybe maybe that's a little bit overhyped, but I don't think it's too overhyped. Mm. They weren't widely tipped to win the league again this year. And in terms of disrespect, I think he... Well, it's, I mean, I hate to draw too many comparisons with the Wenger thing, but... It's a perfect analogy. It's actually something, sorry to cut in, but it was exactly, it, exactly the thing I was thinking about. But the reason that makes Postacoglu's disrespect even more so is that the access to information and coverage of more under-the-radar teams, leagues, yeah, and even reading about coaches that you may not know about nowadays, is so much easier to do so that it's so hard to get another Wenger. And... Mm even though it's, he's only been there one year, but the impact that he's had compared to all of this, the discourse around him when he arrived, it is very much like that. And it's actually, I think, probably more disrespectful because of the era that we're in where we have so much access to information. But the way that he's got them playing the season, the players that he's brought in, considering they had some pretty high-profile departures as well in the summer, yeah, whereas yeah. Rangers kept the bulk of that squad steady and together. I mean, Rangers have gone to the final of the Europa League, right? They could, they've yeah. had, also had a great season, but they kept the, the, the core of that squad together. They had the continuity. Van Bronckhorst coming in to replace Gerard. Gerard leaving obviously wasn't ideal for them at all, and I, I think it was something that stung a lot of Rangers fans. But having someone like Van Bronckhorst come in, who is a very, very astute manager, but also a, pre, a club legend, yeah, he's made tweaks, but it's continued a lot of that process that was well underway under Gerard. Mm. What Postacoglu has done has been super interesting, I think, because he's completely revolutionised the way that that team play. He said something really interesting after the draw with Dundee United, which clinched them the league. He said, this has kind of felt like two seasons in one. 
Yes, yes, yes. We essentially had the development season and a push for silverware within the same season, whereas usually you would separate the two. You'd have one that's just a building season and then the second one you'd really make a push. Mm. If you look at any statistical breakdown of and compare it to last season under Neil Lennon, on all of the things that you would want your team to be good at, they have had a huge increase in. I love that you mentioned statistical breakdown because the most impressive thing about this squad, just looking at it, is the spread of goals. Mm. There's no over-dependence. You see that so often in teams where, like you look at, we look at, we talk, we look at Bayern, like we love, you know, we love watching like players there, but you look at like, if you took Lewandowski out of that, Bayern can drop three places in the league. Like if Lewandowski's out for an entire season, it's very plausible Bayern can finish third or fourth mm. in a different, you know, un, under a manager who's not got the, the squad quite firing. Whereas with Celtic, it's just almost like, not the players are fully interchangeable because some playmakers are key, but I mean, you look at this, like, well, they've got like three players on double figures and goals. And even those only 11, 10, 10, like that is, it's such a well-balanced squad. And it means that a team can hurt you from anywhere at any time, which is so impressive in terms of how he's got them playing. Yeah. And they've had really smart recruitment, but also if you look at his history, everywhere he's been, he has yeah. massively improved he's every single side. Everyone. Yeah. And he isn't a reactive manager. He is very much just like, this is the way we play. Mm at all times, you know, and they had those first, those, those bumpy early results where they lost in the Champions League qualifier to uh, Midtjylland. I think they lost their first game of the season and it was a little bit bumpy, but it was very much again, like trust the process, but he's just so unapologetically married to that philosophy, openly just being like, this is the way I wanted to play. Like, remember, this is a guy who played under Pushkas. Unbelievable. And he's, a, he was a, I think he was a right back, right? He was a fullback. So he was just like, listen, I was a fullback who was playing under Pushkas. You know, I, I, I never wanted to be, being a fullback really isn't that exciting. Mm. When he was explaining like the inverted fullbacks and stuff like that, which we, we all saw Pep do at Bayern, right? And he even references that. But it's one of the first times that that kind of tactical tweak has been implemented to such a degree in Scotland. They, like Celtic fans just love it. They love that they have, Celtic essentially play like Pep's Man City. They love it. Yeah, yeah, They yeah, essentially love, do. Love, the speed they it. move the ball, the way that the positionally, like positionally, the way they try and dominate teams, it's not a million miles away. Such an unbelievable hire that the club deserves a huge amount of credit. Do you know what I love about it? He's so, he's so unassuming. So I did, the, you know, that thing you mentioned, I was inspired by something you did the other day and you were talking about Klopp's first press conference. So I went back and watched his first one and then watched like his most recent stuff. And just like the way, well, first of all, credit to Celtic board for their hiring process. Yeah. Credit to them for doing this because they caught a lot of flack for this from a lot of people. And I think, I can't remember who it was, was it, was it Derek Ray who came out? Derek Ray's always good with this stuff. I think Derek Ray came out on Twitter and was like, they've made a serious hire. And he was kind of like, you know, Derek is very good like that. But I think he was like, um, Shall I find the this tweet? is, I think, I think it was Derek that put it out uh, about Postacoglu and what a great hire he was. Um, Postacoglu, like what, he'd, the first ever AFC Asia Cup that Australia had won. Uh, he won the first um, league title for Yokohama in 15 years. Uh, he's the first Australian to manage, I think, uh, in Europe. I think it's a, um, he's a, you know, it's a big, big, he's, he's been a pioneer in so many places he's been at. Um, but the funny thing about Postacoglu in that first press conference, the humility he came in, just wanted to get to work. But then there's a thing he said most recently where he was like, yeah, this was always the dream to manage a famous club. And then he said, this is the thing, Ryan, he said, from five or six years old, yeah. he's wanted to be a football manager since he was five or six. 
I didn't know I wanted to be a writer till I was a te- till I was ten years old. Like a writer. Masochist. <laughs> Five or six. <laughs> uh, I found the Derek Ray tweet. He said uh, when Celtic announced it in June last year. Derek mm. Ray quote tweeted it saying, "No one can know in advance if someone is a good appointment or not, but it's time the often closed world of Scottish football opened itself up to ideas from elsewhere." Angie's achievements are pretty darn impressive. Great for Australian football to have this recognised. Derek knows. Props to Celtic. Props yes. to Ange Postacoglu. Uh, the one blip was the defeat to Rangers in the cup. Props to Rangers as well because props to Rangers. They pushed yeah. them close. Yeah, it's been a vintage in many in many ways, kind of like a vintage season. I would say. Yeah, definitely, and uh, exciting times. I think. Let's quickly touch on La Liga because Sevilla are on a bit of a draw fest at the moment. They've drawn three straight games, and Atleti beating Elche on Wednesday meant that Atleti have secured Champions League qualification, which was looking a little bit sketchy a while ago. It was in Simeone's 400th La Liga game. Uh, Sevilla drew 0-0 with Mallorca, and Barca beat Celta Vigo on Tuesday. A nasty, nasty Ronald Araujo injury kind of clashed with Gavi and then ran around for a bit and then collapsed. Suffering from a concussion, he got taken to hospital. He's fine, luckily. But, you know, when there's an ambulance on the pitch, it's scary. I'm just glad he seems okay. Javi said he was all right. Um, Granada got a massive win over Athletic Club to pull them further away from the relegation zone. They've been impressive, yeah. They've been Betis beat Valencia 3-0 on Tuesday as well which means that they can mathematically qualify still for the Champions League, but they're four points off Sevilla. So. Also, Ajax won the league in Eric Ten Hag's last home game in charge. They beat Heronveen 5-0 to secure the Eredivisie. Let's go to the Premier League quick. Yeah. It's as you were at the top. And how? And how. Liverpool rested many, many players, as did Chelsea, um, obviously ahead of this weekend's Cup final, FA Cup final. Let's touch on Villa-Liverpool quickly. Good news for Villa. Looks like they're signing Felipe Coutinho for 20 million euros on a permanent deal. It's not been confirmed at the time of recording, so it's definitely one we want to talk about, so we'll see when it's confirmed. But amazing deal for them if they can get that, because Barcelona signed him, obviously, for 160 million euros. We all know how that went. Signed him for 20 million. It's a great signing for Villa and for Gerard. And uh, yeah, we'll touch on that maybe next week. Hopefully it'll be confirmed by then. As for the game, mm. um, Douglas Luiz giving Villa a very early lead after a lovely little goal mouth scramble that just seemed everyone there were a few people on the deck and they all had their hands up appealing and I couldn't <laughs> tell who was appealing for what <laughs> and Douglas Louise didn't care he just put it in and off he went uh, Joel Matip got Liverpool back into it just a few minutes later and Klopp had a really interesting quote after the game he was just like we weren't in the game until 1-1 and I was just like yeah but that was only six minutes in <laughs> <laughs> yeah but then again you saw the Inter-Juve final and how much a game can be defined in the first you know Early stages. And then Sadio Mane with a frankly just unbelievable header to win the And game. he's been doing this all year. Clutch. Absolutely clutch, yeah. So put a little bit of pressure on City for Wednesday night when they travelled to Wolves. Kevin De Bruyne was just like, have you met my left foot? Yeah. <laughs> when he pointed at it, so he scored a hat-trick in, what, 17 minutes? Kevin De Holland. Was it, seven, was it what, 15 minutes he got a hat-trick, something like that? Like- uh, it was a 17-minute hat-trick, 7th, 16th, and 24th minute. And then he scored again yep. uh, right after foot. 60. He scored like four goals. Does that remember this? My right foot? Yeah, he's, had, he's scored four goals in an hour and could have had a fifth, hit the bar and hit the post. Like, could have got- and the thing about De Bruyne is, it's interesting, right? He's generally one of the few footballers who like, if Pep said, we need, we need 25 goals from you this year. Okay, here we go, I'll, I'll do that. Like, and it's like when Rain Rooney was asked to play the number nine in like um, the early 2010s. 
And he was like, okay, and went and got like 34 goals. Like De Bruyne is one of the few players that is like, okay, I'll just like his stats almost, they do matter, but they also don't. Believable. Like he's one of the few playmakers you could actually, Pep could say, actually, we need these numbers, these stats from you this year and I'll go out and provide them. He's extraordinary. He really is. Yeah. And he's just been playing, but also just playing wherever he's needed. Yeah, this is he's the thing. amazing. Yeah, yeah. He's unbelievable. But Wolves did get back into it. They made it a little bit interesting. But this it was like a nice goal counter fest in the first Nice counter now. for Wolves as well. Great. Yeah, great goal from yeah. Dendonka. Uh, Everton drew nil-nil away at Watford, which... In context, not the worst result. Not the worst result, because they've still got a, gaming, a game in hand. And they are two points clear of Leeds and a point clear of Burnley. Leeds back in big trouble. Leeds are in big, big trouble. Another red card. They've got the worst. I think they're about to set a, they've set a Premier League record for the most yellow cards in a single season this season. They've also had two, two reds, straight reds, in consecutive games. Obviously, the Luke Ayling one from the weekend, which we didn't really talk about it afterwards. Actually, shout, shout out. Someone tweeted at us being like, oh, I love the show. And then literally tweeted back a little bit later being like, actually, only a minute on Arsenal leads. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't the most important thing from the weekend, you know? It wasn't, there are more wasn't. important things on there and there will be plenty of Arsenal yeah. chat. Don't worry. And this is not an Arsenal podcast. Exactly. I, know I'm wearing, I know I'm wearing red and white today, but it's not an Arsenal podcast. <laughs> but the, the mad thing about the Luke Ayling thing was that, you know, he's been, he's such an important player for them and he's going to miss mm. the rest of the season. And now Daniel James is going to do the same. Awful. Awful. Just a horrible tackle. Yes, he takes the ball, but a horrible tackle. Kovacic went off a few minutes later because of it. Losing discipline at a, rear, at a point of the season when you absolutely when you cannot need. do yeah. it. Yeah. Let's talk about Chelsea. Mm. Mason Mount became the youngest ever Chelsea player to score and assist in double figures in the same Premier League season. It's so impressive. And he's kind of gone under the radar a little bit this season, I think, Mason Mount, weirdly. Maybe because I, his height was too strong. There's been, a, there's been a slight over-dependence on him as well, though, I think, though, sadly. Mm. Those numbers are high and it's great. Like, he's leading, him in, in, he's leading Chelsea in categories. But also part of me is like, there should be a greater spread of attacking threat. Like, he's really performed this season. I think that colleagues of his have not, have not pushed to the same level. And one of the reasons that Chelsea aren't putting him for league is because they haven't, they haven't found their form to the extent that he has. Mm. Credit to him for main, not only maintaining, but improving his level when he's been surrounded by, I would say, relative... Relative instability, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. And Lukaku scoring again. Made hard work of it on the line there. <laughs> he, made, <laughs> he got there. He got there. I was like, yeah. He, he was going there. to get his goal. He was. Absolutely. He I respect his goal. I respect that. Anything else you want to touch on from this week? Just a very quick congratulations to Manchester United for winning the FAU Cup, beating oh, yeah. Nottingham Forest 3 1. Two goals from Alejandro Garnacho. Um, Pivotal penalty, shall we say contentious, outside the box and he's brought down, converted it. And a great run to the final for Nottingham Forest. They've obviously had a great season at senior level and Manchester United, the much needed tonic of a win like this, which, you know, the FA Youth Cup has traditionally actually spurred big careers for, um, for junior players who've gone on. And Garnacho is pretty much the pick of the pack. He scored, I think, seven in the, in the cup run and he's been really impressive on that run up and checking out again on him. From Argentina, so we'll see what part he plays uh, for the national team um, over time. But an exciting future for him. So congratulations to him. And, and the final was at Old Trafford, so it meant that you had effectively like a you know it's a home game. Um, so sixty odd thousand United fans enjoying that at the end of a fairly bleak season for the, the senior side. Let's take a quick break. Let's do it. All right, man. Let's talk about Holland. Yes, yes. Erling Holland will be joining Man City in the worst kept secret of all time. 
Mm. He'll be joining in the summer. Was it 60 million euros? Yeah. From a personal level, I'm a little bit disappointed to see him go from the Bundesliga. I understand that the Dortmund move was very temporary. Mm. It was always going to be fairly temporary Mm. because that was the reason that they got him in the first place. Very well thought out career path. Very well Specific, thought out. Specific, yeah. And he, when he joined Dortmund, he was tipped to go to Manchester United. He was tipped to go to the Premier League. And I think he very specifically decided to go to a club like Dortmund because he knew he would play. He knew he could play Champions League. And he's still only 21, which is wild. He feels like he's been around for ages. Mm. The way that he's managed um, his career so far is credit to him and his team. Uh, and even Dortmund, I know it didn't sort of end perfectly in terms of, you know, Bratz was like, look, we're going to need to know whether you're staying or not because the way that Dortmund work, they like to know in advance what's yeah. happening. So he was kind of like forcing the issue a little and, and Holland was like, I just want to play football. But I think that overall, when the dust settles and they look back, they've both done pretty well out of this, um, Dortmund and, and Holland. I think the question for me is how this affects City's playing style. Not that it's, I mean, I think it's a great signing for them. I think it's an, an astonishing signing. I think it gives them exactly what they want. I, I would almost say that this was, the thing about this, is that the City team, if there's one criticism of City now, it's that if you knock them off their rhythm, you can bother them. The genius of the Holland signing, and someone says it's not genius, it's just the best striker. Okay, fine, the best young striker, okay, fine. But the thing about the brilliance of this signing for City's perspective is he's like a chaos agent, right? He can get you the goal when, before the build-up. He can get you the goal in broken play. And I know that teams sit deep against City, but he's the counter to the counter, right? When a team hits you on the break, like he's the guy that like keeps you honest. So there's, the, the, what he's going to do for City is, he will just, um, it's like, with, for me, he feels like the Virgil van Dijk signing. Like when City, when, when Lippel got Virgil van Dijk, there's a before and after. The shift in what they did. And I think that he can really, even though they've got all these goals, City from different areas, I think he could have a similar impact on their forward line in decisive games. If you've considered the fact that like, City's heartbreak in the Champions League has happened through late defeats. Mm. Holland is such a good player and brings such an intensity that some of those games that were close might not be close this time around. I think he's that good. And I think you, we mentioned yesterday about a lot of his goals being scored in a particular way for Dortmund because him not necessarily being in possession-based teams. Absolutely right. I think what he does is he gives you, and again, using a basketball expression, he gives you spacing. We saw what Dusan Vlajevic did in the Coppa Italia final, I think it's a preview, we'll see with Holland, where he gets into the penalty area, basically like gets into space and then all of a sudden like three or four defenders just like collapse onto him and you kick it out for a shooter. I think we're going to see a lot of that in the Premier League next year. So yeah, really excited to see how Pep integrates a player like that into his, his lineup. Yeah, I find it really interesting because I think it'll work. Yeah. He's not just a big man who's going to smash a load of goals in. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. He's lightning quick. He was super good on the counter-attack with Dortmund. Like the amount of times that him and Sancho would break from just outside the Dortmund box. And combine. Unbelievable. He just gives City another dimension. Mm. You know, City have had no problem scoring goals. They're fine. But the only thing missing for them, and this is definitely a move for like the Champions League. Mm. Yes, yes, yes. You know, is to score goals in different ways when they absolutely need to against elite defences or, or teams who have been there. And is there anyone better to sign for that push for Champions League glory than the player who has got the best minutes per goal ratio in Champions League history? This is the thing. City haven't had problems scoring goals. They've had problems scoring certain goals. Yeah. And, and, basically, and essentially, essentially, yeah. Holland was signed 
a little like Neymar. Neymar was basically only signed to be effective in a handful of matches mm. because PSG knew they were always going to get to a certain level in the Liga and in the Champions League. But Holland basically is like he's been signed for, in a sense, not, not complete, but in a sense, the quarterfinals onwards. Yeah, a couple of stats yeah. from Opta. So in players that have scored a minimum of 15 goals in the Champions League, <laughs> Holland has scored a goal every 64 minutes. Mario Gomez has scored one every 102 minutes, as has Robert, Roberto Soldado. Messi is 104. Harry Kane is 104. Messi's 104. That is absolutely, sorry. I mean, obviously, you know, as time goes on, you would expect that ratio to come down. However, if you then turn that to the Bundesliga, in Bundesliga history, for players who have scored a minimum of 25 goals, Holland has the best minutes per goal ratio of 87 (laughs) minutes. Lewandowski has 100 minutes. Gerd Müller has 105. Perimik Aubameyang. 116, Patrick Schick, 120. Those numbers are... <laughs> the but the, thing, numbers but the are thing is, like, yeah, at that age, numbers. I think this is the thing about it. It's like, yeah. yeah, you can say that it's a smaller sample size. He was only a dormant a few seasons, two and a half seasons. And also he's, playing, he's been playing Champions League consistently for three seasons, right? So, yeah, compared to people like Lewandowski, uh, Messi, who have played over 10, 15 years, sure. But the thing is, is that at that age... That's when strikers tend to be streaky. It's premium. That's when ten, pre- you, you, yeah. You've seen like the efficiency of strikers really start to increase like Lewandowski, Benzema as they've aged, right? Yes. Yeah. Like Benzema's finishing is a great example. Benzema yeah. was not that ruthless early on. He just wasn't. But if Holland is putting up those kind of numbers at that age while still being raw, because when he arrived at Dortmund, he was still a little bit rugged. Like he wasn't the finished article. He's not the finished article, but yet he's putting up better goal ratios than some of the all-time greats in the Champions Sorry, League I, and just, the Bundesliga. Just, you know, I'm just laughing at what you said there. I'm just, if there's any Augsburg fans listening to this podcast <laughs> and you're going, oh, he's not fully for Paul Augsburg. <laughs> when Holland was unleashed on the Bundesliga, Paul Augsburg, and Holland comes in and just destroys him. Like, you're right, even though he was raw, he was still delivering. He was such a destructive striker that I think exactly. that he... Yeah combined with what City have at their disposal, it's just, I mean, yeah. from a football point of view, it's it's otherworldly to think of. It obviously makes you kind of think, well, who can push them? Like even Liverpool, like even Liverpool, mm. I know that people have, people love to get into the kind of spend, net spend and blah, 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 blah. But like Liverpool, I think we've talked about this before, so I don't want to go back into it, but Klopp and the way that they have recruited and sold and gelled that team and built it over a few years under Klopp and the fact that they are pushing this City team that close and mm. Liverpool are one of the best Premier League sides of all time this this current iteration of Liverpool but if it hadn't been for that Liverpool then City be out of sight with the riches that are in the Premier League that is still the gap you know um, that's the gap and I think that's also that's the resources obviously that's the resources City have no question it's also the job that Pep is doing which will never get credit because Pep has all it. money yeah but what Pep is doing... We've talked about this before, how yeah, the, yeah. Two, the two yeah. can coexist. City have what? had an, an obscene budget over the last however long, but also Pep is another worldly coach. But we also know that people are already thinking, we know that Klopp is already thinking how to address that, how to deal with Haaland as, as a player and the, the new City under Haaland. They'll have to see how it shakes out first. One thing I would say that City need to be wary of is the overdependence because we say, some say, oh no, they've got a galaxy of attackers. They'll They'll... Actually, we see it at Bayern, we see it at Real Madrid, we've seen 
teams where they have elite attackers and everything starts going through one person, even Juventus to an extent. Juventus have got Dybala and Morata, right? And Chiesa and as well. But they go through Vlaevic a lot and even too much. So actually what you start, you know, it's almost a subconscious thing where a player is scoring so many that people almost configure themselves around him. So one thing that they'll have to do, I think, is to cut off that supply line to Holland, but also find ways to isolate him. That's, I mean, it's easier said than done. Well, good luck with that. Um, but I think that might be an interesting thing. We talked before with City about the weaknesses when Rodri came in. We talked about the pressure points in a team. The weaknesses being that triangle where the two centre-backs playing into Rodri. And we saw Leicester exposed that. Leicester man-marked um, Rodri with Jamie Vardy, one of the best pieces of tactics I've seen in recent years, and just wreaked havoc. That doesn't happen now because City have wised up and Rodri has stepped into his role. But interesting, like as as City find their rhythm with Haaland, what pressure points they can exploit when he's still learning to combine with his teammates. Anyway, yeah, a little bit of a crumb of comfort thrown towards uh, the direction of City opponents there. Dortmund signed Karim Adeyemi from uh, Red Bull Salzburg as well as a replacement and announced it about three minutes after Man City announced that they were signing Haaland, which is Do you know I'm so excited about the Adeyemi signing? Yeah. Go on. The fluidity of the Dortmund front line. I loved Dortmund. Here's the thing. Two things can coexist. I both loved watching Haaland at Dortmund and also, I, for me, in my own opinion, my favourite Dortmund attack is the fluid attack. Ansgar Knauf coming back from loan, hopefully at some point from Eintracht. Makoko, Reina, Adeyemi and Royce as well still in the mix. That is, that's going to generate goals. And the resurgent Julian Brandt pushing yeah. forward as well. Like- sometimes, but it's like you said before, sometimes you take out the best player and the attack as a whole improves. Yeah, so I mean, we'll Dortmund have been okay this season. I don't, they've, they've not, it hasn't felt like they've missed Jaden Sancho a lot compared, yeah, yeah. To how, is, compared to how you thought they would. But also, yeah. they've just suffered so much from injuries this season. It's yeah. just, Their problems aren't really an attack, to be honest. They're not really an attack. But uh, they've got big signings coming in with Schlotterbeck from Freiburg and Nicolas Zula from Bayern. I love those signings for them. Um, big signing. Yeah, huge signing. Let's wrap on the Champions League reforms. You've mm. probably seen it all by now. But if you haven't, shall we do a quick recap? Yes, very quickly, yeah. UEFA announced the confirmations of the new Champions League format, which will come into effect for the 24-25 season, as well as changes to Europa League and the Conference League. The introduction of the Swiss system. Key amendments to this, taking this from UEFA's website, was that many people expected it to be uh, 10 group games per size. That's been reduced to eight Mm. in the Champions League. I love how UEFA fluff this stuff up. This, Q- this confirms UEFA's strong commitment to the principle of open competitions and sporting merit while <laughs> recognising the need to protect domestic leagues. <laughs> Show me your working, please, UEFA. <laughs> <laughs> Eight matches of the Champions League were played over 10 weeks. Four additional places created by the increase from 32 to 36 teams in the league phase of the UEFA Champions League will be allocated as follows. One place will go to the club ranked third in the championship of the association in the fifth position in the UEFA National Association ranking. One place will be awarded to a domestic champion by extending from four to five the number of clubs qualifying via the so-called champion's path. It's nice that only four or five clubs can qualify via a champion's path for the Champions League. Even though you've actually won your domestic title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The final two places go to the associations with the best collective performance by their clubs in the previous season. The total number of points obtained divided by the number of participating clubs. I'm actually not 
unhappy about that. No, I'm not. The, cl- the two associations will earn one place for the club best ranked in the domestic league behind the UEFA Champions League positions. For example, at the end of the current season, if this was a, had been in effect, it would mean that the top five in the Premier League would go in the Champions League and the Netherlands would get an extra spot. Which I like. Well, I do and I don't. I like the idea in theory, but I mm. don't like the fact that the Premier League has five clubs going into the Champions League. Yeah, that I don't like. I think that should be capped. Yeah, I think that should be capped at four. I like the Eredivisie thing though. Yeah, me too. But I think this is again highlighting a problem and finding the incorrect solution for it, which yeah, is yeah. a common trait with UEFA and FIFA. So the summary, 36 teams in the Champions League. Each side will play four home games and four away games. We don't know how that's going to be allocated yet. That gets the biggest Carlo Ancelotti eyebrow from me. Yes. The sides that finish in the top eight will qualify automatically for the knockout stage. The sides in ninth to 24th will compete in a two-legged playoff to secure their path to the last 16 of the competition. So I think it increases the total amount of games in the competition by about 50. Mm. Because you have these like additional group games and then an extra two-legged qualifi- like playoff thing to get through to then the round of 16. Yeah, kind of Europa League vibes. Similar format changes will also be applied to Europa League. Eight matches in the group league stage and the UEFA Conference League stays the same. Six matches in the, in the league stage, but both will include 36 teams. So you, you, get an extra, you get an extra group in the Conference League. It's not as bad as I feared. Okay, so here's the thing. 36 teams. 36 teams. The top eight goes straight through out of the 36. So after basically eight, after eight, games after eight games are played eight rounds it's enough to separate the 36 teams as the basic that's the that's the concept um what's interesting is the ninth place the 24th place they go into the the two-legged playoffs that's where i feel the greatest sense of maybe an injustice because if you're 24th playing against the ninth the question is would you have had more chance going through from the group stages under the old arrangement than under the new one it feels like this is slightly more security it's a bit like an insurance policy it feels like an insurance policy for the big clubs unfortunately yeah I mean, it's it like is. a guarantee it's a guarantee that like the big clubs in quotes will have a second bite because we've seen it with the relegation in germany right we look i really love the relegation playoff it's a really nice and you know thing they do in the bundesliga but the concern yeah. i always have is three up three down if you've got the fire yeah if you've got the firepower we've seen so often like you know we're not going to name names but big german teams that basically like don't re- they, they underperform all season they come to a two-legged playoff and because they've got strikers that basically have been scoring the Bundesliga like every now and again, they basically play well for two games and that's it. And like, that's my one issue with the playoff thing. It's almost like you've underperformed to get second bite of the cherry. So from that respect, I don't, I don't like this, but it's because the initial proposals they put out were even worse. They've kind of successfully made me feel Actually, it's not that bad because the initial proposals were like, oh, giving like two clubs, giving two clubs places because of past of historic fight yeah, performance, no, fight that. which is that. awful. Yeah, yeah, awful. Yeah. Um, but think about it. So this season, Manchester City, PSG, Liverpool, Atleti, Ajax, Sporting, Real Madrid, Inter, Bayern Munich, Benfica, Manchester United, Villarreal, Lille, Salzburg, Juve, Chelsea. They all qualified from the group stages. Mm. But half of those sides wouldn't qualify automatically. I don't like that. So then you could have, for example, like Benfica going up against, I don't know, PSG in the, in the playoff or something. Or exactly. Do you know what it is, you know what it is Ryan? It's gentrification. It's the gentrification of the Champions League. 
I mean, it's been gentrified for a while. It, yeah, I know, but this is like the hyper, but this is the hyper. You know, there's, there's gentrification, there's gentrification. Gentrification where it's like, ah, oh, like, oh, that cupcake is like 20, you know, 20 cents more expensive. Oh, no, no, no. It's like, it's double the price. And this is what it is. It's like, just when they had, and they, they, like I said, they've just, we've just had one of the best Champions Leagues in recent memory. One of the best. Like, it's been amazing. And it's not broken and they're fixing it because the revenues are going to be great and there's more games and blah, blah, blah. But it's just, couldn't we just save and enjoy this for a moment? I mean, the thing I love about the current Champions League format is that it makes every game feel like it really counts. Like right. if you slip up away from home in one of your group games, that could really come back to bite you. You might lose that lovely quirk of the middle two fixtures being essentially like a two-legged tie. In, oh my God, in, you know, can I say this? I just thought about this. Sorry. 36 teams, right? Do you imagine that if there's like a, a conference, which is like, you know, when they, they jump between the different games, you've only got, and this is the one thing I will say in the format's favour, Ryan, 36 teams in a league, eight match days. The amount of shifts on the last day or the last two match days that we're going to see in that 36 team table, because let's assume that's actually maybe something's are quite tight. You could see teams plummeting or rising especially in the midsection of, the mid of that table, like let's say you're like 25 to 36 and you go into the last game needing like certain amounts of wins. I think that's going to be interesting. The last day drama. I mean, yeah, it could be, but it could also be the top Just routes, routes. It could be, oh, are they going to finish 24th or 20th? And the top eight are already miles away. I know why it's done. Yes. Because of the, the Super League stuff, but it makes me worry about what this looks like in 10, 15 years time. What's the, it's not necessarily this shift, which I don't like, but it's the next one. The incremental. Exactly. It's like when they got rid of them, the UEFA Cup and the Cup Winners yeah. Cup. Yeah. Yeah. I see that. I see that. There are plus points there with guaranteeing spots for sides who may have had to go through qualification. Yeah. Mm. But this is what worries me a little bit because I, with, if you look at how strong Premier League sides have been in the, in, European competition recently, there's a possibility, for example, that one year you could have seven English sides in the Champions League. Yeah. Of 36. That's ridiculous. That's not fair to me, I don't yeah, think. Yeah, I agree, I agree, I agree. I just worry that this shifts the balance even more towards the leagues that are already kind of rich enough. Because the Premier League is the richest league in the world. Yeah. All this really does is just mean that the pressure is kind of off the top five. Yeah. Or top six, maybe. As with anything like we've talked about before, it could be there's great. Go, here's the thing. There's going to be, sorry, there's going to be great football. That's not the point. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There'll be great football and there'll be great games. And there'll be great ties and there'll be drama. I'd just love to see a little bit more jeopardy in European competition. Yeah, agree. Bigger clubs are given too many opportunities not to fail. Put it that way. You know, if you fail yeah. from your Champions League group, you can go into the Europa League and you can win that competition and then get back in the Champions League. Or if you yeah. fail from your Europa League group, you can go into the Conference League and vice versa. It's just like... <sighs> Let's, I don't know. I, I, this sounds like I want everyone to experience success less, but actually I think people might, more people may experience success more frequently. Mm. Or, you know, for example, like it would just be great if Champions League qualification was a little bit more sacred. Yeah, I see that. I see that. And now I know that you might then in some leagues actually save it for only one or two teams that are constantly going to do it. I know that that's not perfect, but it's more about trying to bring the rest of the other leagues around Europe up a certain level yeah. to make the direction of travel for elite players a little bit more widespread. Like we've yeah, talked yeah. about this before, like wouldn't it be cool if Mbappe could go to Ajax? Yeah. This is why I'm envious of like the NBA playoffs right now where there's so, there are so many teams that are evenly matched because of the distribution of talent more evenly across, across big teams. So yeah. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure how this solves 
some of the issues. I think it does maybe, mm. but I think it also increases the opportunities for still for the very big leagues and the very big teams to secure Champions League qualification if they even if they kind of underperform. Yeah, but we'll see. You know, it's not. I don't. It's not quite as bad as it was going to be. Yeah, but I don't think that is necessarily a cause for celebration. No, I agree. I agree. Shall we bounce? Let's do it. We hope everyone's staying safe, staying well. Don't forget to check Wright's House and Ringer FC if you haven't already checked it this week. Moose's piece will go up on the ringer.com forward slash soccer. It might be up by the time you listen to this. And the Stadio Outros players on Spotify. Speaking of which, we are playing out on a belter of a cover version by Mark and Suzanne Farmer, their cover version of Dreams by Fleetwood Mac. Good times, man. Anything Good you times. want to add, Moose Wonga? Listen, how can you follow Fleetwood Mac? Players only love you when they're playing, Moose. <laughs> Listen, it's going to be a great night for me. I'm going to get my North London Derby and my new Kendrick album, so... Well, I'm glad you're going to have fun. Listen, I can't wait. Much love, everyone. Much love. We'll speak soon. See you then. you have